G'day and welcome to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality podcast. I'm Jackie Parry and it's good to have your company. Today I'm going to go back over a story during a time when Noel and I were crew on board delivering a boat down to Tasmania and crossing the infamous Bass Strait. It really isn't a story about where we went, it's a story about being a skipper and the kinds of decisions you have to make and should make. This episode is brought to you by Pantenius Yacht Insurance. Where West Wind Went The tangy smell of the salt-laden breeze and the late afternoon muting of colours surrounded the cockpit. Our skipper's comments contained a sprinkle of sarcasm, laced with wit. When he spoke, his wife, Gilly, and his crew, which in this case, my husband Noel and I, listened intently. His voice betrayed conviction and caution. I think we'll abort the trip to Hobart. Jock Muir, unknowingly, was responsible for us all being in the cockpit on the high seas on this particular night. Mr Muir's first boat, Westwind, is now the proud owner of Chris Dicker, truck driver, yachtsman and boat builder extraordinaire. Built in Battery Point between 1935 and 1937, Westwind is a 36-foot hewn pine double-ender, originally a catch but now a sleek and practical cutter-rigged sloop. The year Westwind claimed Chris's heart was 1999. His head urged, keep away, but his heart fell, hook, line and sinker. The deck sagged beneath me the first time I stepped on board, he remembers, with a self-deprecating smile. The vents and windows had been shut for years, so I was greeted with the acrid stench of fungus and decay. Clearly, someone had disappeared up to their armpits through the cockpit sole at some point. He laughs now, shaking his head at what he must have been thinking, and goes on to explain how the furniture was pure pulp, having been underwater for some time. After eight years of restoration... Chris and Gilly launched Westwind at Colonel in Botany Bay in January of 2007, just a few weeks before the Wooden Boat Festival in Hobart, a long-held goal. Only weeks before, blessed with good weather, they had finished recorking the hull, applying the putty, a coat of primer and anti-fouling. As the gleaming hull slid back into briny, the dry timber planks gratefully swelled, stopping all leaks bar one tiny drip within 48 hours. Gilly admits the boat still just looked like a mess and the strange nautical turns were also daunting. Eating late each night, she supported Chris and his dreams, painting, sewing lee cloths, shopping, washing, cooking, but maybe more importantly, being a staunch ally, keeping humour and simply being a good mate. With just 14 sleeps to go until the festival started, my partner Noel, a boat builder, went to Sydney 
and spent a week helping the preparation, running backstays, chain plates, tennis balls on solar panels, which were head-protecting devices, life ring mounts, winch for reefing lines, fixing leaks in hatches, porthole gaskets, leak loss fitted, sheet winches mounted, all reefing gear on sail, spinnaker pole mounting on mast, spinnaker pole cut to length, running blocks for sheets, and on it went. The day before leaving, more friends of Chris and Gilly arrived and crawled over and around one another while fixing navigation lights, the compass, the compass light and VHF. To aid the frantic activity, their beautiful teak tiller, yet to be pinned, had wriggled loose, disappearing over the side, creating an additional job. The first time the sails were hauled was as they left Botany Bay. They were finally bound south, aware of the harsh reality of the shrinking of time and the lack of even a shakedown cruise. But they were off, proud owners Chris and Gilly and friend Noel, heading south to collect me at Crookhaven, where I would join the intrepid crew for the trip to Hobart. West winds and Gilly's maiden sail was from dusk till dawn. Neptune's heart went out to the tenacious team and a 15-knot nor'easterly breeze stroked the new sails, propelling the fine hull, slicing the water like a butcher's knife. The new tiller's paint was still tacky, and without an autopilot, when you were on the helm, you were stuck there, so to speak. Crookhaven welcomed them in with a calm dawn and flood tide. I hopped on board and joined the fray. The party consisted of mounting the autopilot, fabricating a makeshift dodger and putting another coat of paint on the finger-smeared tiller. With four on board bound for Eden, we could put Westwind through her paces and, like a pure thoroughbred, she extended her proud head and streaked through the waves as if they were mere ripples. As the GPS flashed eight then nine knots, Chris could not rein in his smile. Wherever Jock Muir roams, he must have felt the same pleasure rush through his veins. The wooden boat festival was in sight. A southerly change dictated a stop in Eden, and our battle with time, testing and troughs was on. The engine overheating arm burst into the peaceful putter of a happy engine. With a quick recce resulting in shrugged shoulders, this was solved by disconnecting the source of the noise. The small leak was dealt with by the automatic bilge pump, but the hourly kick-in was down to seven minutes. It was pumping seven litres every seven minutes. Not to be deterred, we set off in a southerly, hoping the northerly change would be speedy. West wind stretched her fine legs and we tacked down just 18 miles from Cape Howe Point. Disaster Bay on our right was starting to seep into our thoughts. West wind healed over at 45 degrees and the sailing became hard. Chris became quiet. I had to think of everyone, he said, about his crew, as well as West wind. The small problems were accumulating into bigger one. With speed made good at two knots, it meant Bass Straits would play host to West wind for a week. We heard Chris's decision and turned back for Eden. The decision was his and his alone. As crew, the rest of us could only offer support. 
After I returned to Eden, the weather was watched, felt, breathed, snorted and analysed to within an inch of its life. As if adding salt to the wounds, southerlies were predicted for the whole week leading up to the start of the festival. We were all disappointed, but admittedly relieved. Bass Strait is not a stretch of water to tango with. The return trip from Eden to Ulladulla was fraught with black squalls against the coal night. The spinnaker pole fitting started to pull loose and the mast track was bending. So now, perhaps we can judge the skipper. Turning back are two words and actions that as a sailor do not bother me one bit. But I have come across a startling number of sailors who would not consider this an option. To me and the others aboard Westwind, the decision to turn back was the brave decision. It is a success, not a failure, to understand the strength of the oceans and unpredictability of such places as Bass Strait, to say nothing of self, crew and boat preservation. As the mist of the vanishing evening extended in both time and space, swallowed by the horizon into the timeless grey of dusk, I asked Chris what was next. Just time to enjoy our boat, he said. I do hope you enjoyed that story of our experience of not getting into Bass Strait at that time. At a later time, I'm pleased to say Chris and Gilly um, went to the Wooden Boat Festival a few times and myself, I sailed down that way doing a sail with the mighty and great Lisa Blair on climate action now, which is another story on the podcast. The decision-making of the skipper is a responsible one and as I reiterated there, it isn't a failure to turn back. You have the lives of yourself, your crew, and the safety of your vessel in your hands. That's all I have time for today. This article will be on sistershiptraining.com if you'd like to have a read, and there'll be a few photos there as well. There's also videos and podcasts and lots of other articles. If you'd like to subscribe and keep up with what we're doing, that'll be great. Enjoy your time on the water, and in the meantime, I wish you safe sailing.